minds with the chip inside Like a Lincoln digitized out Which prior to this was higher than science could ever devise This is a neural interface We're gonna stick it in your face Till it in your brain and interlace There's an arms war on and we're gonna win the race Leave everything a race, bring the base Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Now, this is a special edition of DMB Tonight, uh, sharing a recording of a talk at the previous DEF CON Biohacking Village. And we're sharing this as a recap of great information that was presented and as a reminder that the same team behind DCBHV We'll be putting together another edition of DEF CON Biohacking Village here in just a couple weeks. August 9th through 12th, 2018 in Las Vegas, Nevada at Caesars Palace and at the Flamingo this year. For more information, please go to villageb.io and for more information about DEF CON itself, go to defcon.org. We look forward to seeing you there. And the, great, and the great talks and panels and the expo floor. But before we share this great clips with you, we want to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. Now, if your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of the Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us through email at info at DangerousMinds.io and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. Well, first I will let uh, Jasmina, my coworker Jasmina, uh, introduce me. <laughs> um, uh, there were maybe, never mind. Uh, so welcome everyone. Uh, thanks for, for coming to this talk. Uh, like David said, my name is uh, Jasmina. Uh, I work together with David at a company named AOBiome. Uh, David is the founding scientist over at AOBiome. AOBiome is a biotech company based in Cambridge, Mass., that is focusing specifically on ammonia-oxidizing bacteria uh, and its impact on, on health. Specifically right now, we're looking at uh, skin and inflammatory skin diseases. Um, ammonia-oxidizing bacteria, just as a short snippet to properly, hopefully, set the stage for what you're going to be hearing from David today, is a type of bacteria that used to exist naturally on our skin uh, many years ago, but we have wiped it out due to uh, changes in our lifestyle as we've evolved as a society, uh, and also a lot of changes in our hygiene habits. Um, we use so many products on a daily basis that definitely has an impact on our microbiome and our skin's ecosystem. And AOBs, as we call them, is a type of bacteria that we've wiped out as a result of a lot of that, uh, and we're studying the effects of putting that bacteria back on. The bacteria do a pretty cool thing. Uh, they help to consume your sweat and in turn produce two things, nitrite and nitric oxide. And I bring those things up because nitric oxide is uh, something that David has a lot of interest in. Uh, it's a really important signaling molecule for the body and potentially a really important uh, component of our day-to-day -day health and actually uh, relates in a really important way to this whole notion of biohacking. So today, David uh, is going to be talking to you about uh, this notion of biohacking from the perspective of control, uh, which is wonderful because this is the first year that DEF CON is having a biohacking village, uh, which you can come visit us at. Um, but he'll be talking a little bit about biohacking from a perspective of control, and of course, you'll be hearing plenty about nitric oxide. So with that being said, I'll hand it over to David. Well, thank, thank you, Jasmina. 
Um, yeah, I want to thank the you know everyone also the uh, Pete Frazier and the other people who put this thing together. Um, and you know I want to uh, you know I'll try not to make Mike talk too you know commercially, um, but. And, and also, this is not meant to be any kind of a medical type, you know, thing. This is just for information and, you know, and I'll be talking about theory, not the treatment of any specific disease or disorder. I mean, we do have an IND with the FDA, but, you know, we're, until everything gets, you know, all the D, T's get crossed and dotted stuff, we're not going to talk about medical things. So, um, here we go. So I'm an engineer, I'm a chemical engineer, and you know, I see physiology as a chemical plant, a very big, complex, intricately controlled chemical plant. And the most important part of any chemical plant is the control system. If the control system isn't working right, nothing is gonna work right. And there are typically two types of faults, good control around a bad set point, or bad control around a good set point. What we see in physiology is good control around a bad set point, where the set po you have a set point and you have deviations in one direction. You know, you're too fat, you're, you're too thin, you're too, the, all the deviations are in one direction, they are not deviations around the set point. So good control around a bad set point you can't fix externally. You have to change the set point. So how do you hack anything? Well. You need to know what you want to do, and you need to know how to do it. Problem with physiology is it's really complicated. There are at least, you know, zillions of control parameters per cell, and there are a zillion cells. So how do you do that? Well, very carefully. And, but knowing that all disorders are disorders of control, and knowing that control has to have certain properties to, to exist as control, then you can start to you know, understand what you need to do and, and how, how to do it. Medicine does not understand the control of physiology. Most medicine is based on the idea of homeostasis, which is not correct. In, in fact, it's not even wrong. It's so, you know, f physiology comprises, you know, many, many nonlinear coupled systems with coupled parameters with hysteresis. The state at rest is the most complicated state. And it's this state at rest where everything important happens, getting ready to do you know, whatever it is you need to do when a stress comes along. So, and, and, and you know, preparing you know, physiology to respond to the next you know, stress responding state is, is, is the most important thing that happens at rest. And of course, that's completely, you know, impervious to completely we're completely oblivious to, to all of that because it happens in the background and only when there's more than enough resources to do everything else you want to do and you know it's a self-organizing criticality which is which which is quite important but won't go into so so what properties does the control of physiology have? Well, the same as the rest of reality. There's no action at distance, and all control is local. Each cell has to be signaled to do whatever each cell is going to do. A lot of that signaling is internal and is you know, the auto-tuning of the cells so that each cell works together with every other cell so that they can you know, instantiate 
so they can instantiate whatever it is they need to instantiate. And it's that the local self-tuning, you know, auto-tuning of control that allows cells to, you know, synchronize their behavior so that ensembles of cells can work together and do things collectively as an organ so that all the cells in the heart can beat together, so the cells in the brain can you know, work together to instantiate thinking, which we still have no idea how that happens. But we know, you know, a single neuron can't think. You need ensembles of millions of cells, and they have to be all doing, you know, different things, which we do not understand. So, to summarize, you know, looking at physiology as a control system, all disorders are disorders of control and mostly good control around a bad set point, and you need to understand that. And the most important way to, to regulate that is to let the auto-tuning kind of do its own thing. And if you can't, because if, if the auto-tuning isn't working, then nothing else is gonna work. So, but you know, we're not just human cells. You know, our microbiome, we have 10 times more cells and 100 times more genes in the microbiome than we do in human cells. So, and th those cells also, you know, control themselves and each other and interact with the rest of things. The microbiome is more complex than the rest of physiology put together. And nitric oxide is one of the singularly important you know, signaling molecules that keeps all of those things in sync. And ammonia oxidizing bacteria are a keystone species because they, you know, couple, they live on the skin and couple ammonia in sweat into NO and nitrite. And, you know, our hypothesis is that they set the background level and that's a, a key, you know, parameter. In the environment, everywhere you find ammonia, you find ammonia oxidizing bacteria that the, um, that you find ammonia and you find ammonia oxidizing, back, ammonia bacteria. They make nitrite, and that gets oxidized to, nit to nitrate, and then plants turn that into you know, proteins in cells, and then when, when those proteins are, are oxidized, they're, they're deaminated and release ammonia. Major source of ammonia in the environment is the surface of eukaryotes. And not surprisingly, the surface of eukaryotes is a major niche for ammonia oxidizing bacteria. So you, you can see, you know, these are uh, data I collected. Ammonia produced by ammonia, uh, nitric oxide produced from ammonia by a ammonia oxidizing bacteria on the surface of various eukaryotes. Um, you know, and these are eukaryotes separated by you know, hundreds of millions of years of evolution. Um, it's it's a, a common, uh, you know, common pathway in, in many, for many organisms. Um, the, the most important uh, fact about nitric oxide is that all nitric oxide sensors sense the sum of nitric oxide from all sources, including the background. So if you have, so, what happens, nitric oxide synthase makes NO, it diffuses a distance and then activates a sensor. 
Each sensor senses the sum of nitric oxide from every source, including the background. But the background isn't constant. The background is a global control parameter. The physiology moves up and down depending what it's trying to do. And that moving it up and down changes all nitric oxide pathways simultaneously. So it's, it, it becomes very complicated. And because you've got you know, hundreds or thousands of pathways that are synchronized and synchronized with a common background that's going up and down, the control problem becomes quite uh, difficult. <laughs> so how did humans develop this kind of stuff? Well, our ancestors evolved in Africa and they never bathed. The, it was too dangerous. The, every water source had parasites and crocodiles and alligators and you know, predators and, you know, who knows what. So they stayed away from the water. And so living in, the, in a tropical place with, you know, sweating every day, you're going to have ammonia on your skin. And it would be not possible to not have ammonia oxidizing bacteria living on your skin. It just, there, you know, there's no way you, to avoid that. And over evolutionary time, our physiology evolved to use that productively to, to regulate things through non-thermal sweating. And my hypothesis, that's why we have hair, to provide a niche for these bacteria, that, and why pubic hair is regulated by androgens, because a low nitric oxide state is a high androgen state. And so high androgens, you increase hair growth in various places, and that expands the niche for ammonia oxidizing bacteria. NO levels go up and the androgen level goes back down. So there's a, a normal feedback that regulates the this niche size of ammonia oxidizing bacteria. And in the wild, the, the Yam, Yanomami tribe is measured to have ammonia oxidizing bacteria on their skin, multiple different strains, and this is a, a tribe that has never been contacted and you know, doesn't have the you know, Western pathological you know, bathing practices. So the most important part of control is control stability. If you don't have stability, you don't have control. And to, to, to get control, you need negative feedback in the in the control range so as the as the stress causes deviations you know affects the phenotype the phenotype has to get stronger so as to release the uh, so as to resist those uh those stresses in the active range so the active range this is this is where the active range is you this is where the active range is you have um where, where the, the slope, the DPDS, is positive. Whereas the, you increase the stress, the phenotype gets stronger. And once, if you exceed that, then, then um, th things start to go bad. And the, the, first, the first thing that, that's lost is ability to reproduce. And that is a feature because it, it avoids wasting uh, resources in a, during a time that's not, not good for reproduction. And if there are not enough resources to stay alive, there certainly aren't enough resources to, to try and reproduce. 
so and these these um, these are all just different uh, parameters that are essentially the same thing. They're all proportional to the degree of stress. Uh, So, you know, how did the physiology of light? Well, all you evolution through common descent and, um, you know, eventually leading to eukaryotes. All eukaryotes use oxygen for ATP production and for synthesis of amphiphilic molecules for the endomembrane system. Every use of oxygen produces superoxide, produces oxidative stress species. So eukaryotes required oxidative stress stress responses before they could use oxygen for ATP or for synthesis. And NO and superoxide react at diffusion-limited kinetics, so you can't have both. You can have high NO, low superoxide, or high superoxide, low NO. You can't have both because they react at diffusion-limited kinetics. So... So th this is the this is the a kind of a schema of how the kind of the fundamental you know the first stress response evolved, and what what that first stress response had to do was it had to, you know the you have the baseline at rest, the stress happens, then the first you have to detect the the stress, then trigger the stress response, then block the damage, then repair the damage, and then start to you know, consider, do things to mitigate future damage, turn off the stress response, you know, return, return to the, you know, baseline state, and then do mitosis. And the reason for single-celled organisms, the most important step in a successful stress response is reproduction. If you're a single-cell organism and you don't reproduce after a stress response, that stress response was not successful. So, I mean, that's, that's my hypothesis. That is why products of oxidative stress are mitogens and are used to regulate the cell cycle, both to stop reproduction when things are bad, when there aren't enough resources, to just, you know, slow down and, and even stop the cell cycle, and then to trigger the cell cycle after everything, you know, becomes good enough to reproduce. So that's the kind of the archetypal you know, control system that, you know, controlling reproduction for single cell organs. I mean, there's nothing more important. So with oxidative stress being that, um, that fundamental, a, a, a thing, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not something it's, it's too important to be set by things like diet and all the large, placebo-controlled clinical trials of supplemental antioxidants show essentially no effect on states of oxidative stress. That oxidative stress is too important to be set by diet. It's set by the oxidative stress, stress control systems. And so, I mean, diet is just, is just not important in that. So here, here are a few of the NO pathways that are important, and you have, um, you know, superoxide and NO. NO reacts with superoxide and radicals at diffusion-limited kinetics with SGC to make cyclic GMP. This is down in the sub-nanomolar range. You know, all the heme enzymes are regulated by NO. Um, all thiols, and there are a zillion thiols. So 
How do you hack the background level of nitric oxide? Well, there are four generally recognized ways. Eat a lot of green leafy vegetables uh, because of the nitrate content they have, and that's well absorbed and goes on the tongue and is reduced to nitrite and, and it is, is well recognized to be, to be an important health benefit. Aerobic exercise, the shear on the blood generates NO and also bone strain. Um, mindfulness meditation raises the nitric oxide through neurogenic um, production of NO. And then AOB on the skin, turn ammonia and sweat into NO and nitrite. Um, okay, so, you know, the fundamental stress response is to divert resources to survival, and it's all resources, especially ATP. And ATP is energy to do work, and NO is more like the control signal that relocates regulates the allocation of that. And under fight or flight, you turn off healing to free up ATP to get a few more steps running from the bear. And that's why stress causes adverse health effects because physiology is diverting ATP away from healing into immediate consumption. So the, the hierarchy of... Uh, Substrate allocation, you know, survival is number one, and then repair damage, anticipate future needs, and then reproduce. And the plasticity response, I mean, that's where, you know, muscle hypertrophy gets after exercise. It's not the damage during the exercise that's important. It's the repair and plasticity afterward. Okay. So how to hack physiology from a control perspective? That, you know, everything that affects physiology is coupled and, you know, stress makes everything worse because control needs ATP to, to mitigate all bad things. And so you don't have the resources to mitigate bad things, then you can't and you're SOL. Um, so the, the way to do it is you have to let the auto-tuning do its own thing. The cell-to-cell -cell communication that, you know, regulates you know, myriad things that each cell does. And so the, the kind of four fundamental things that you need to do is, you know, be kind to everyone, be nice to everyone, do no harm, uh, do well by doing good, keep your microbiome healthy, eat food, you know, mostly plants, not too much, and then get the right amount of exercise and, you know, rest and sleep and, you know, all these other things. And all to, to maintain the the a low stress state so that you can, your, your normal repair and things can do their thing and repair and you know, keep everything ready so that if a bear comes in the back door, you can t turn it on and, and you know, run faster than everyone else. Okay, so here are some examples, which I, I only, probably only have time for, to go through a few of them. Um, adverse effects of stress that are, you know, systemic, but they're, they're no one, I mean, they're hard to deal with because there are no treatments for, for these things. And because they're, they, they really are, you know, bad control and it's, you know, disorders of control and it's, you know, good control around a bad set point and you need to shift the set point. So, so, um, Post-traumatic stress disorder. My hypothesis, it's a feature th that physiology invokes if you're living in a war zone. 
what, you know, if you're living in a war zone, what's the ideal phenotype? Well, hypervigilance, insomnia, hair trigger, you know, hair trigger, anger, you know, kill everyone before they can kill you. I mean, that's, of course, that's obvious. That's what, and if you're living in a war zone, that's what you want. Well, that's, and, you know, living in a war zone, that's what your background physiology is going to self-modify it to do. But, you know, you, you know, that's a problem if you're trying to, you know, live back in civilian life where you, you're not in a war zone. And the only way to get out of it is to have auto-tuning, you know, tune its way out. And that's, you know, not being in a war zone and, you know, letting auto-tuning do its thing. Depression. My hypothesis, depression is a feature. When you're running from a bear, physiology will invoke euphoria. The euphoria of the near-death, uh, uh, near-death metabolic st stress. And you need to have euphoria when you're running from a bear so you can keep on running when your muscles start to necrose because they're not getting enough blood. And so physiology induces euphoria so you can run while your muscles are dying. And, and all the safeties are turned off. So you don't feel pain, you don't feel fatigue. I mean, you, you, you experience fatigue, but the feeling of fatigue has been turned off by physiology so you can keep running as you're, because if the bear catches you, you're dead. So catch, you know, running and just damaging your muscles is, you know, is, a, is a feature. Um, if you, if, Organisms could enter euphoria easily, they would, and they would die. Um, that's, that euphoria is the same euphoria of autoerotic asphyxiation, of the, of, you know, of, uh, the runner's high, the, the you know, solvent huffing, the, uh, you know, going toward the light when you're drowning, and you know, the stimulant drugs of abuse. They lower the ATP level, trigger this metabolic, you know, euphoric near-death state and, you know, changes all of your priorities so that you don't care if you're, you know, dying because, you know, if the bear is, catch, is chasing you, that's what you have to get rid of. So, so evolution has minimized the sum of deaths due to being caught by the bear dropping dead from exhaustion and suicide. And depression has to be uh, aversive enough to cause suicide because it's protecting you from the euphoric state where you would gladly kill yourself by running yourself to death. So to minimize the sum, you need some in each category. So you need some suicide, some you know, running yourself to death, and some from being caught. So... Um, developmental origin of adult hypertension. In rats, you, in the low, in utero, exposing them to low nitric oxide programs a uh, hypertensive uh, state in, in, in the adult. So it's the, the you know, low NO auto programs, the auto tunes the pathways to be in a, you know, high stress state. How do you how do you get rid of that? Well, the same, you know, you have to be in a low stress state and allow the auto tuning to to resolve that.
um, Calhoun's mice. What, hap what happens when you take eight mice and give them unlimited food, water, space, or not space, etc., in a confined space? Well, the population goes up pretty high, and then it drops down to zero. It, the population becomes extinct, but, but with no apparent disease or apparent cause of death. The, the mice died of old age, but they died of old age without reproducing. And my hypothesis is that the, just the psychosocial stress of you know, conspecific organisms competing with each other m moved the operating point of you know, reproduction beyond an adaptive set point so that they, so they couldn't reproduce. And I'm just about out of time, but... Wait, I have what? 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 Wait, wait. Oh, the next. Oh, the next speaker canceled. Why didn't someone tell me that? I would have been. I would have been more. I would have gone a little bit slower. But. <laughs> And I would have put in more slides. Okay, okay. So, so you know, Calhoun's. You know, I mean, this this is is. I mean, there were no, there were no. The the cause of death was old age. That the mice died without reproducing, but there were no substrate limits. There were no diseases. No. And, and I mean, it's it's clear to me that this had to, has that this has to be a you know, auto-tuning and auto-programming um, of stress beyond an adaptive threshold, where, where control diverts substrates to where they cannot be used for reproduction. And it doesn't matter if they're there if control can't use them. Okay, this, 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 is, this data is human. Um, the male-female ratio at birth and over you know the last you know 70 80 years and what's very interesting is that this um, the ratio uh, the ratio depends on um, ethnicity where the the ratio in in blacks is lower and going up the ratio in whites is higher but going down and the the, the I mean, there, there's no, there's no explanation for that in terms of endocrine disruption, because um, blacks and whites are too similar. I mean, they have the same, you know, endocrine systems. They're eat, living in the same environment, eating the same food, eating the same, 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 same. So it, it, there needs to be an environmental influence that is differentially affecting blacks versus whites. And to me, that's you know, racism. Um, you know, you, the, you, you know, in, back during the Jim Crow South, before the 1960s, it was real low. And you know, the in a from an evolutionary standpoint, under conditions of very high stress, many organisms shift the ratio of of males to females to a to a fewer male. Um, Fewer males, more females. And the reason this happens is that 
um, if for humans, uh, humans are descended from more females than males because you know ma- many many more males um, uh, die without reproducing than females. I mean, the the average number of males. I mean, for every every offspring, you need one male and one female, but many males don't reproduce. And so, if stress, if there's a lots of conspecific stress between competition over mates, then a it, it, it would favor having more uh, female descendants than ma- male descendants, and so that's what we see. And you know, interesting. You know, during the 1960s, in the civil rights and Martin Luther King, you know, it it uh, you know it um, you know it increased and the ratio increased a lot, and in, you know the. And but has and has been increasing ever since. I attribute this to the you know reduction in you know racism that's that's gone on since you know since the 1970s. Uh, we're still not there yet, and the the declining decline in whites. I'd say that's that's probably the you know increased misogyny and increased stress that you know modern living is is causing on 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 us on everyone. Okay, so, um, so why are there so few women here? Well, you know, we know why, because of misogyny. And, you know, putting people under stress, you know, triggers, you know, fight or flight, triggers resources away from repair and healing and, you know, maintaining good health. And, it, and you know, hurts, especially the hurts the people being bullied, but it also hurts the bully themselves. And you know what? What? What the? I mean, what? What this? What? The, what this tells me is that the, um, you know, the modern misogyny is beyond the, the peak, the, DPDS peak, and so where it is having adverse effects. That an increase is not making the phenotype more, more robust. Is making the phenotype less robust, and so it's actually, you know, causing harm to. You know, two people in the in the environment. Um, so he, here's a, a graph of uh, puberty in humans, and you know, back in 1850, here it was almost 17, and you know now it's it's you know much lower than this. It's down 10, 12, 10, 11, 12. Um, the so what's What's the you know cause, and you know the the chemical industry only started being important back in the 1940s. So it's very likely not due to xenobiotic chemicals in causing endocrine disruption. I mean, my hypothesis is it's that a lot of it is, um, you know, it's just conspecific stress. You know, being you know stress on. On women's stress, just being in a you know stressful environment because there are more people that can be you know mean and bad to you, um, and and you know early puberty is not benign. It does associate with lots of other endocrine disorder type things: polycystic ovarian syndrome, infertility, um, you know asthma, diabetes. So again, the 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 shift in 
of you know control is being uh, you know hammered beyond an adaptive threshold, where where the phenotype is getting is is becoming less robust. So how so how does a bully know that the bullying is effective? Well, the bully can vicariously feel the pain of the victim. The way the bully does that is through the same you know, neuroanatomy that is used to detect your own pain. And it, det it detects the, the you know, crosstalk. If you feel vicarious pain, that also triggers flight, fight or flight in you to prepare you for whatever you know, is causing pain in, in, in your environment. So you know, bullying hurts the bully as well as the, the victim. And so, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that if you want to hack your, your physiology, you know, you hack it by, you know, being nice to everyone. Um, if you look at uh, a map of heart disease, heart, heart disease deaths, uh, well, where, where are they most pre prevalent? Well, down in the south. Well, why is that? Well... Where is racism the worst? Well, down in the South. You know, so, you know, is that, is that co correlation or causation? Well, I mean, you know, we don't know, but, I mean, all the physiology points to it being causation. And that, um, you know, being a racist asshole is, is not good for you. Um, so and you know the same the same the same place you know I mean that all the you know same sex marriage had the same kind of of, of things so um, so how to hack physiology from the perspective of control well you need to let auto tuning do its thing and you have to you know be nice to everyone do well by doing good keep your microbiome healthy you know eat food not too much mostly plants. Get the right amount of exercise, and then you, you let your auto tuning do its thing. Any questions? Uh, well, um, well, diet. Most of those things are too important to be controlled by diet, and there there are really I mean the the way diet studies are done, they're all self-selected diets, and you can't you can't impose a diet on someone because they won't they won't stick to it, and so so I mean I think most of these things are too important to be set by diet, and diet you know food choice is part of the control system by which you control your intake of antioxidants and if you're in a high oxidative stress state you don't want antioxidants because physiology has to generate more free radicals to to get rid of them so no i i'm i'm quite sure it's not diet i mean i mean yeah you you can make things bad with diet but th these are people not trying to kill themselves with diet i mean they're you know, so any okay, yes. Um, 
Um, yes. However, uh, yes, I, 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 I agree with that. However, the, what's, the, what's the mechanism by which that, that fat happens? I mean, my hypothesis, it's you know, triggering fight or flight, and when you trigger fight or flight, you shift um, metabolic load of muscle to carbohydrate and the, because you're trying to maximize ATP production in muscle so that you can take another, a couple more steps from the bear. The way muscles do that is they do glycolysis in muscle and export lactate. And then the lactate gets consumed elsewhere, like the brain, or gets converted into fat. So, the, you know, muscles can store, you know, glucose as glycogen. It can rapidly, you know, metabolize that into um, pyruvate and uh, lactate, export the lactate, and then, but if there's no place to get rid of the lactate, it gets turned into fat. And, and, but then you have a carbohydrate craving to replenish the carbohydrate that was stored in the muscle as glycogen. So, you know, you get this ratchet, you, you know, you, 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 you do some kind of exercise, you make lactate, you turn the lactate into fat, and then you can't, you, you have to, you can't turn the fat back into glucose. So you have to replenish the glucose by consuming carbohydrate. So that's my, yeah, next, yes? What that, that that is not correct. The that is not correct. The the I, I mean I, homeostasis says yes, it's na regulated in a narrow range. That is not correct. It, the ATP is used by, you know, hundreds of thousands of different pathways. The only way a zillion pathways can use one signaling molecule is if that signaling molecule is actually caught regulating all of those different pathways. Each cell regulates its own ATP level. Yes. I'm not hearing what you're saying. Could The, 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 the ATP set point is regulated in part by um, nitric oxide. Nitric oxide and, and nitric oxide and guanylcyclase co-regulate. Um, nitric oxide and ATP co-regulate guanylcyclase to change the activation, so that so that a low NO level um, also corresponds with an ATP level. So ATP and NO go up and down in sync. Well, well, I mean, it, the ATP, there are two sources of ATP. There's through the, the um, oxidative phosphorylation in mitochondria, which requires oxygen, and then there's glycolysis, which is independent of oxygen. And, you know, muscles do both simultaneously. They do glycolysis and make lactate, and they also oxidize as much as they, as they have mitochondria to oxidize. And they try to make as much ATP as they can, and allowing the you know, differential 
uh, release of lactate kind of allows the you, allows each cell to make as much ATP as it can, and then the the rest of physiology deals with the lactate. And so, well, well, I mean, the when you're running from a bear, you can run until your muscles necrose, and you know, the until the cells die. And what that says is that. ATP, when muscles are dying, is at its lowest, the lowest point that it can reach. And the muscles will let you do that because muscle cells dying is a feature. I mean, it, it, I mean there's, nothing, there's nothing else that they can do, and so you're, you're not saving any ATP for anything else. Um, I, re redundancy is not the right word. There are, um, there is, uh, I, mean, I mean, when you're, when you're running from a bear, there are no redundancies. I mean, it, the physiology um, it, it diverts all resources to survival and, and will kill you if there aren't enough resources. I mean, that's, you know, you're, you run, you can run yourself to death. Um, I mean, there are no... They're, they're, you know, when you're in the runner's high, there isn't some emergency power source that comes on. It, no, what, what's, being, what's happening is that essential systems are being turned off, but they're being turned off in a you know, gradual hierarchy because you don't have enough ATP to, to power them. And so... Well, yeah, I mean, you can turn healing off, I mean, you can hold your breath for, you know, a minute. You can't hold it for 10 minutes. But if, you know, you had to go through a, a zero oxygen atmosphere, you know, you could hold your breath. Well, it's the same thing with, you know, ATP. There's a, you know, uh, a cell state called ischemic preconditioning where cells change their physiology such that they produce and consume much less ATP, and they are then resistant to ischemia during that the period of ischemic preconditioning and that's a every cell exhibits that kind of behavior and it's a very complicated state because there are you know a zillion pathways that are modulated up and down and you know and we don't fully understand it but but it, it, it is a very robust thing you know you subject a heart to a few episodes of a brief ischemia, then it, it becomes much, much more resistant to ischemia for the next, you know, 24 hours or so. And it's a, there's some background physiology thing that's, that's going on, but that ischemic preconditioned state cannot be permanent. If it could be permanent, cells would enter that, you know, permanently and, you know, ha have more ATP to devote to reproduction. So they don't do that, so there, there has to be some long-term cost to ischemic preconditioning. Okay. Um, yes? Well, well I mean, the only, the only reason 
a chemical has an effect on physiology is if it interferes with the control system of physiology. If the chemical didn't interfere with the control system, it would have no effects. And the, 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 the decline in the age of puberty, you know, that, hap that started occurring much, um, you know, much earlier than the, the synthetic chemical industry. I mean, the synthetic chemical industry didn't really start until, you know, until the 1940s. And, you know, 50 years earlier, it, the decline in age of puberty was already, you know, very well underway. And, it, I mean, it's certainly it's multifactorial. And, you know, the, and, but, but we know it's, you know, stress responses integrate all of the, all of the environmental effects together because, you know, stress has to, I mean, physiology has to integrate everything together to, in order to mobilize all resources to deal with whatever stress is going on. So, any more questions? Yes? Yes. Well, you know, our, our hypothesis is that you know, AOBs on the skin, you know, regulate the background level of nitric oxide. And if, you know, nitric oxide is the main regulator of when you're in fight or flight and when you're at rest, you know, shifting the, the set point of that will, you know, move you more into a, you know, fight or flight, you know, all the time and decrease the amount, the fraction of resources devoted to repair and, um, you know, maintenance of, of physiology. And so it will, you know, tend to shorten your life and um, make you, you know, and, and act like the way chronic stress, like chronic stress. So I'll also um, pipe in here just talking about the skin as like a very basic example because that's about as far as we are when it comes to the science. Uh, ammonia oxidizing bacteria from everything that we understand and also some of the studies that have come from aboriginal tribes, they seem to serve the role of like a peacekeeper for the skin. So not just their presence alone that's really helpful, but it's actually the fact that they have a pretty dramatic impact on the rest of the microbial community on the skin as a whole. And the thing about removing the peacekeeper is that it kind of crumbles as an ecosystem. And what, seem, what it seems like is happening is that uh, losing the peacekeeper allows the bad guys to kind of take over a little bit more or at least leave the skin a little bit more susceptible to potential problems. And we've potentially made that even more dramatic with incredibly pervasive uses of everything from antibiotics and, of course, antibacterial everything. And the fact that even that so many products of ours have preservatives in them, which are effectively antibacterial. So when you think about consistently applying these products every single day, multiple times a day for some people, think about what you're doing to that microbial community. Um, and I'll add to that by saying that, unfortunately, the bad guys grow back faster. So bad bacteria that are pathogenic have those really quick doubling times, whereas the good bacteria like AOBs take 10 to 12 hours to grow back. So you're removing the good guys and the bad guys are growing back faster, just leaving your skin more susceptible to uh, something serious like infections or something less serious like, you know, some inflammatory disorders or even just basic crazy uncomfortable skin dryness um, or oiliness or something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. That's a good question, yep. Um.
Um, well, the, you know, it's very complicated, and we don't know the answer to that. I mean, it's it. Um, I mean, who's a good guy and who's a bad guy probably changes over time, and depending, you know, what's going on in you know in your environment and your health and you know lots of other things. So. Um, but I think the, the, you know, the AOBs are a keystone species, They're the only type of bacteria that convert ammonia into NO and nitrite, and, and they're the only bacteria that derive energy by doing that. So there, you know, I mean, there are other bacteria that can reduce nitrate in sweat into NO and nitrite, but you know, ammonia levels in sweat are a thousand times higher than nitrate levels. So there's a much larger... Um, you know, pool of ammonia to convert into NO and nitride. And, you know, my hypothesis, you know, one of the first things you do when you go into shock is you, you have profuse sweating. And the question is, well, why? I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're going into shock. Why would you release, you know, water? I mean, you want to keep that to keep your blood, you know, but my hypothesis to generate nitrite to, you know, in your hour of need to, you know, block all the hemes and prevent reperfusion injury. Um, yet. Well, we, we're still doing, you know, research in that area. I mean, I, I've been working on this for maybe 10, 15 years and, you know, ha been doing my science experiment. I stopped bathing, you know, I put the bacteria on, stopped bathing and kind of see what would happen and, you know, was surprised when things did happen and, you know, went to the literature and, you know, found out, oh, that, that, that pathway is related to nitric oxide. And Do you have plans to do Wait, what, could you repeat that? Do you have plans of extending that experiment to a large uh, yeah, Yes, we do. Um, it's, you know, we're a startup. We're, you know, trying to, you know, bootstrap our way up to, you know, from just me to, you know, the whole world. I mean, I would like to see a billion people a day use this, but that's... Anyway, up oh, out of time. Okay. Special thanks to the team at the DEFCON Biohacking Village for sharing this recording with us. Now remember, if you're able to make it out to Las Vegas, Nevada for DEFCON in August 2018, it'll be well worth the trip. Where the panels and the topics covers are just a small portion of the action. With the activities and networking available with the other attendees is the true payoff. Now, get more information about uh, Biohacking Village, again, go to villageb.io. That is our new website for this year. So take a look. Now, the schedule is up and more information about new uh, exciting new changes this year are on the website now live. So you are loyal listeners. If you'd like to know more about the journey we take weekly, check out the DMP homepage, dangerousminds.io, or go to Facebook forward slash dangerous minds podcast. And please keep in mind that 
uh, events like these are listed on the DMP Google Calendar. And if you have an event that you would like to add to it, please feel free to email us or send it to us on Facebook, and we'll be glad to add it to it. Now, all of us want to thank you uh, for joining us as we explore further the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking, grinding, and implantable technology today. If you well, like the programming we share and the work we're doing in the community, please feel free to support us by going to our Patreon page, becoming a supporter at www.patreon.com forward slash dangerous minds. Please feel free to reach out to us questions or comments, and perhaps we might one day talk to you about the work and our projects you're exploring and or developing. Until next time, seek the spark. Scientific progression is steamrolling, there's no preventing it going ahead. Now we're intrinsically linked with technology, biology as we know it is dead.